Hi, welcome to the Urban Lifestyle Report, and I'm your host, Carolyn Morris Walker. episode of my legacy project, The Urban Lifestyle Report, a platform to exemplify Blacknificence and Black excellence. And I'm your host, Carolyn Morris Walker. Today, I'm extremely delighted to have Jason Faulkner as my guest, who certainly reflects Blacknificence and Black excellence in so many areas. And we're about to chat about that. Urban Lifestyle Report is a space and place to showcase the many talents of Black and African people who are often invisible, not acknowledged, and not celebrated in popular media for their many talents, accomplishments, and achievements that contribute to the community and the world at large. So I'm deeply moved when I meet people in my community who are doing outstanding and amazing work in a plethora of areas. They are educators. They are creators, influencers, entrepreneurs, change makers, founders, investors, and they are igniting, building, and transforming our community in a variety of ways. They are engaging in these activities on a full-time, part-time, or even as a side hustle, making their passions and visions come to life. And I believe the community needs to hear about you. My guest today is Jason Faulkner. He is a man of many talents who is a Toronto native. He is an athlete. He is an educator. He is a model and actor, and he is a business owner. And we're going to get into that today. So Jason, thank you so much for being here. Carolyn, thank you for having me. I'm honored. I'm really excited that I'm actually here. We're doing this uh, finally, because I remember you telling me about your podcast and wanting to be a part of that, be a part of history, you know? So Thank you for, for having me on the show. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. And you have been one of my greatest supporters. I, last time I met you at that slow jam party, you came up to me and said, did you launch a podcast? And I was so pleased that I could say yes. And I really appreciate your support, Jason. So let's get into it. Let's talk about your journey your accomplishments, your achievements. And let's start with you getting an athletic scholarship from Bradley University in Peoria, Illinois. Let's chat about that. Yeah, sure. Um, Well, I guess probably go back to middle school because I really didn't grow up playing basketball. Obviously, being Canadian, you learn to skate, you know, because that's, that's Canadian right there. So you know, I grew up playing hockey and, you know, I kind of stopped playing hockey, to be honest, because I couldn't find skates my size as I was growing, you know, so I stopped playing hockey. 
But I played hockey and baseball. And those were the sports in Canada growing up until about 1995, right? So I started playing basketball late. I actually got cut in grade six. And in grade seven, I was determined to make the team. And I tried out for the grade eight team. So I made the team as a grade seven player. So when I was in grade eight now... I was able to make that transition a lot easier because I was on the year before. So, you know, I had more of like a leadership role helping the team. And we actually won the championship that year. So basketball started probably late middle school for me where I started taking it serious. But it wasn't until I got to high school where I decided, you know, this is probably what I want to do. And there's one thing where you get support from your family and your friends. But uh, I got a lot of support from my grade six teacher, Mr. Bokla, which I still talk to to this day. He's been very influential in my life and the reason why I began working on my craft as far as basketball and being the best player I could possibly be. He saw something in me that, that not many saw at the time. And I remember him uh, specifically telling me that, you know what, Jay, if you keep up with this, if you can, can commit to this, I can see you going very far in basketball. And when he said that, something just like laid up on the inside of me. I'm like, this guy's not even my dad. He's my teacher and my coach. And he sees potential in me. And because of that, I was like just so determined to like make him proud, but make myself proud as well. And I remember one of the things he told me was, uh, Jay, if you can commit to this game, Stay away from the girls because they'll mess up your your jump shot. I remember him telling me that. <laughs> and I was like, man, is he serious? Like, I got to focus that much. I don't want them messing up my jump shot, you know? So I, I, I kind of taken those words um, as I began to take it more seriously. Yeah, he's very instrumental part in my life. And then when I got to high school, I was very involved in sports. I played basketball, football, baseball, um, and obviously basketball. And, you know, I just enjoyed basketball so much more. You know, I was getting recruited for football by a lot of U.S. schools. And a lot of schools in, in Canada wanted me to, to come and attend their university, play on their teams. But I know I just stuck with basketball. Basketball, and I got recruited uh, from the States. So I accepted a scholarship from Bradley uh, University in Peoria, Illinois. Yeah, the journey journey started from there, and the rest is history. Uh, I don't know. I was just very athletic. I was always into sports. So that was something that was kind of like my getaway growing up, especially in, in school and even after school. I was always outside doing some sort of physical activity, you know, and even to this day, Physical fitness is, is still very important to me. And I try and, you know, keep my friends and family that around me, making sure that they're active, you know, because there's so much benefits from, from being active, right? So that's something that was very important to me growing up and still is. And, and where did you grow up in Toronto? Um, I grew up in Rexdale. I think I was in grade two where I moved from North York and I moved to uh, Rexdale, which is where I spent most of the years growing up. It wasn't one of the best areas, but it was an area where kind of shaped me as far as persevering and, and just being gritty and being driven and accomplishing your goals because, you know, nothing's nothing's handed to you. You have to work for everything. You know, I get a lot of that as well from my parents, which were immigrants. They came to Canada and they just worked. They worked. Right. So those habits, those, those things that, you know, are instilled in me now are habits that I've gotten from my parents. You know what I mean? And you know, Jamaican people, they're very clear. You have to work for everything you everything. want. Get to right. work for it. Nobody not give nothing. <laughs> something my mom and my dad always told me, you have to work, you have to work. No one's going to give you anything. And my mom actually got me my first real job. She wow. used to go to Price Choppers on the weekend. And she talked to the manager and said, my son needs a job. My son needs a job. And that was like my first real job. And I was going to high school at the same time. So I'd work after school, go to school, you do your work, go, you have your sports after school, but then 
you have to work as well. So I was working all through high school. And it makes me think too about the culture of Jamaican people, because my background is my parents are also Jamaican. And I too went to high school and also worked after school. And I think that they really give us the skills and set us up so that we can function in this world at the best of our capacities. I I really think that I love my Jamaican parents for that. I love the Jamaican-ness behind that, right? Because they're very clear. Either I go to work, I go to school. Straight. No in between. Or both. both. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. And like my mom had two jobs. I remember she had two jobs. She used to work at the hospital. You know, she'd work from like, uh, in the morning to three during the day. And then she'd come home and sleep for a little bit. And then she'd work overnight downtown from like 11 to eight. So like she did that for years. And I used to see her work. Like my mom worked my dad as well. He was a worker always doing stuff around the house. So it's like, you know what? There's no such thing as idle time, man. You could be doing something, doing you know, something. work and make money. You'd rather sit down there and do nothing or you're going to work and make some money. Yeah, I, I get a lot of that from my parents and just wanting to make the most of my time and be productive. And it builds us and it builds our characters. And when you say that, what comes to mind now is living color back in the day. And they used to say, I'm a Jamaican man and I have four jobs. I'm a butcher, I'm a baker, I'm a liar, I'm a doctor. We have 10 jobs, man. But you know what? That parody is based on the reality of knowing the ethics of Jamaican or People straight. But you know what's so you know what's so funny about that now? People people make fun of that. But all those jobs, those are different streams of income coming in. And we know nowadays one stream of income is not enough. And now if you talk to a lot of business people nowadays, they're like, you need more than one stream of income coming in. One is not enough. So, you know, we were already ahead of the game working four or Listen. five jobs. Come on, man. We're already working. We're already ahead of the game. What are you talking about now? We're trendsetters. <laughs> Listen, the ingenuity is beyond and the execution, not even knowing the impact or how it actually is setting the trend. We start it and they get yeah, on board. Come on. Come on. It's, it's evident. It's evident, man. So if Straight. people want to make fun of me of having being model, teacher, business, that's fine. That's okay because I have multiple streams coming in. It's okay. It's all good. It's all All good. good. (laughs) I love that. And I would like to say, too, I think Black culture is a trend setting. We define um, the greater culture because we do set the trends. And I spoke to Dean Dory out of OCAD University. Uh, She's the dean for the faculty of design and the only Black dean of design in the world. And she said this and I think it's very profound that black people, black culture, we set the trends and then the greater tr- culture jumps Massive. on board. But once Dude. they jump on board, we're moving on to the next one. Right. It's a pattern. It's a pattern. And I've seen it. You've seen it. Society, culture sees it. That That's exactly what it is. And, you know, once we, it's like anything that we touch expands, it grows, it blossoms. And others want to jump on it as well. And then once it's, once it's being copied or once other people are on it, we're like, hey, we got to move. 
we gotta we gotta That's create right. something else. We gotta start something else because it's it's getting copied or it's not even or if you're gonna copy it, make sure you do it properly. You know what I mean? Right. And once we see that it's getting watered down, it's time to create something else and do something. So um, exactly. Yeah. So you graduated with a degree in communications with an emphasis in advertising and a minor in marketing. And I also read that you played professional basketball for seven years in Europe, Asia, and Australia. Give us, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Going to, to Bradley University, I was, at first, I wasn't sure what I wanted to major in. My first year, I didn't have a major. Um, I knew I was very interested in sports. I was also interested in the human body. That was mainly because I was, I don't know, I was always getting injured playing sports. And I was really amused by the body and how the body would heal itself and want to know muscles and joints and tissues. You know, before, before there was Google, um, we all grew up with encyclopedias. And that's how we got our information. I always used to go to H, the human body to find out different parts of the body and muscles and tendons. And I wanted to get into sports therapy. I wanted to be a therapist. And because of my SAT scores or my ACT scores, they weren't high enough. They didn't allow me into the program, which I was kind of offended because just because my, my scores are low, I got into university. That doesn't determine whether or not I can actually do the work. You know what I mean? So I ended up majoring in advertising which was a lot of fun and minoring in marketing. I I wasn't able to use it because I didn't get into that right away, obviously, because I played basketball for years, for some years. I was also interested in sports administration and that program wasn't implemented until I graduated. So I missed out on actually getting into sports admin. You know, I had goals of being like an NBA scout and just working in front office of an NBA team or even the Toronto Raptors, you know what I mean? So... That didn't happen, but I was, I was able to graduate. And from there, I traveled overseas. So my first opportunity actually playing sports was, as a professional, was in Portugal. You know, I didn't have the greatest of college careers. I was always hurt. I had low stats. Um, I wasn't like one of the main scorers on the team, you know, as a role player. But I was still able to work my butt off and get a contract playing professional basketball overseas. You know what I mean? So that that alone, that story alone, being able to get overseas was was amazing because I had I had no stats. I wasn't a popular player, but an agent took a chance on me based on the word of a former uh, teammate of mine, and he took me on and he got me my first job. And then from there, I was able just to travel different parts of the world, dribbling a basketball and getting paid for something that I love to do, which was play basketball. Wow. So. I never, I could never complain. I remember getting the call. It was, the turnaround time was less than 24 hours. I got a call on a Sunday and I was on the plane on a Monday flying to a country that I didn't know anyone, didn't know the coaches. I was just going off of the word of my agent, hoping someone would be at the airport to pick me up. But a ticket was was paid for me and I jumped on. I wasn't able to go home back to Toronto and see my parents. I called them the, the night before saying, I'm hey, I got a job playing basketball in Portugal and I leave tomorrow. So, you know, I was grateful, I was thankful to God because that was something that I wanted to do. You know, I had the opportunity to go over to Europe and start my athletic career in Portugal. And then from there, 
I was just traveling all over the place. All over the place, like where? From Portugal, I went back to the U.S. to play in the ABA. For those that don't know what the ABA is, that was actually back in the day, in the early 80s, the ABA was actually bigger, or in the 70s, was bigger than the NBA. So the American Basketball Association. So I went back, I was playing in Iowa for a year, and then from there, I had an opportunity to play for the Canadian national team and the Jamaican national team. Um, so after the ABA, I went to Australia, played a season in Australia where we won the championship, and then... I had a, an opportunity to play for the Jamaican team. So we trained in Florida for that. And then I ended my career playing in uh, Taiwan, which was probably one of the, my better experiences. Just travel-wise, the basketball was good. We didn't have a, the best team, but the experience was, was amazing. Well, it's funny because I think about Taiwan and how different the culture is there. My own experience, I lived in Japan for three years okay. and traveled a lot through Southeast Asia. Yeah. And uh, the experience of being a black woman living in a small town of 56,000 people, That's it was awesome. kind of epic. They just loved me. Whoa. And I, I get that. I, I, they're always staring. They always want to like, you know, they're very pleasant for the most part. The hospitality was that's what I took back from every country that I visited, that they didn't know me from a bar of soap, but they treated me like their own. Like they made sure I was okay. Always wanted to take me out to eat, make sure I was fine. Do you need anything? That was one thing I took from each of the countries that I played in. I feel like it's a part of their culture, the hospitality. Like if you're a guest in my country, like you're a guest in my home. So I need to make sure that you are fine and that your your time here and your experience here is top notch. Even in Australia, the same thing. But Asia, the hospitality was was great. It's on a whole different level. Different and level. and I found that was the first time I felt really valued as mm. an educator in their country. I taught at four schools, parents would be dropping off things at my home because how hard was it to find the black lady if, oh, in yeah. a population of 56,000 people, it's right? Out. 100%. You know, thank you, thank you, thank you. Three years, I loved every moment of living in Japan. I learned yeah. very quickly how to say in Japanese, stop, don't take my picture, because I could see the excitement in their eyes yeah. when they yeah, saw yeah, me, yeah. you know, yeah. but overall. I was a commodity out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? But treated respectfully, I think. Really, to me, I, I would never say anyone treated me badly. I was treated yeah. with the utmost respect uh, by my community. So let's move on and talk about you being an actor and a model. Where I actually met you for the first time was at an event called Afro Chic Toronto in 2018 yeah. through a mutual friend of ours, Mahuli Chai. And you modeled there. And I've seen you also at several African Fashion Week events, which I love, love, love. Tell us how you got into being an actor and a model. Speak about that. I always wanted to, I know it sounds shallow, but I've always wanted to be on TV. Like, <laughs> but Nothing I, wrong with that? Yeah, like I always wanted to be on TV. I never thought it would be possible, but a friend of mine had connected me with an agent. You know, he took me on originally as just for doing sports 
you know, commercials and print ads. So I started off doing that. But then I knew I, I felt I could do more than just stand in front of a camera and pose and take pictures. I felt I could actually act. So I started going to auditions with speaking roles and I was booking stuff. And I was getting a lot of positive feedback from cast and directors. And, you know, I ended up signing with another agency and I was just getting more and more to opportunities to uh, audition for speaking roles and stuff. So I became, uh, I guess, extra certified, getting paid a little bit more now, now that I had speaking roles. So I was taking it more serious and I was now starting to get into like acting classes and stuff like that. The modeling first started of, like you said, Afro Chic. That was actually my first modeling, like runway type show. For years, I tried in Toronto. I've walked into agencies and got denied. Walking in and being like, you're not what we're looking for. You don't fit. Tell me I'm too tall. I won't fit in the clothes. And Afro Chic and African Fashion Week were actually the first organization that actually gave me a shot and said, yeah, you can do this. You know what I mean? And Shout out to Brenda and the crew that have opened doors for a lot of up and coming runway models awesome. that you probably wouldn't get opportunities elsewhere. And a lot of them have blown up from participating at African Fashion Week. They're, they're doing something very positive in the community and it's getting bigger and bigger every year, which is why I'm always a part of it for like, the, I think the last five or six years I've been a part of uh, African Fashion Week just because of what they're doing for our community, our people, and just opening doors. And showcasing the beautiful talent oh, the and design of the African Black people and yeah. the models. When I am in a room full of melanin magic, I think I get intoxicated high from all yeah. of the melanin magic. And I'm so pleased when I see these fantastic events and we're just doing the yeah. dang thing. Yes, yes. It's empowering. Empowering. Like I try and as much as possible like obviously traveling a lot and experiencing different cultures and then coming home and trying to connect you know with your community or people trying to get out to as much events as possible to not only like meet new people and build new relationships but just to embrace the culture more and show appreciation to what's happening and it's like the premise for this podcast is i keep going to these events and i'm meeting all of these black people, African people, and they're doing amazing things yeah. in so many areas. And every time I go away, I think, how come I didn't know about them? Yeah, you didn't how, hear about this. Yeah. How can I hear about this? And so I'm thinking, you know, there's a narrative about us, the community, not doing great, not doing well. It dispels it. It's a myth. There's many of us who are doing awesome. Yeah. And we don't hear about it. And in that silence is the story about what we're not doing. And yet there's no balance to that. And so here we are counteracting that, right. counteracting yeah. that narrative. Right. Building, building each other up, recognizing for the work that you're doing, that's not necessarily seen, but it's being mm. seen for, for those that are listening and, and doing stuff in the community and you're not really being seen, you're being seen. So keep doing what you're doing. And at some point, someone's going to recognize you and praise you and highlight you for what you're doing. For real. So for the past five years, you've been an elementary teacher for the Toronto District School Board. What moved you in this direction? You know what? I, I think 
I think at some point I knew I was probably going to be in education because originally that's what I wanted to do. And when I had graduated from university, not graduated, my first year in university, I came home and I visited my old high school and I saw my coach, my football coach and teacher. And I told him I was thinking about education and he told me not to do it. He's like, it doesn't pay the bills. Don't do it. So him saying that, that kind of disturbed me from actually getting into education. But I always found myself working with kids, obviously through basketball, but like always working with the youth. It wasn't until after I finished traveling, came back. I was actually working retail at Lululemon. Yes. So I, I was working there for two years and I left early. I quit to go back to school because I felt that's what I needed to do. I went back to school, got my degree in education, primary studies. And oh yeah, I started teaching 2015. I started teaching elementary. And man, it's it's been rewarding. It's, it's a lot of work, but it's been rewarding. You, you never know. I feel like teachers are very underappreciated. They don't, I don't think people actually really know what teachers do on a daily basis. And I think some, some parents now understand. Understand. Right now, but it's, it's not an easy job. Teachers are, are always on the job, like even at home, after hours. A lot of teachers are still, but, but we also go through a lot in the classroom. You know what I mean? That people don't really see as well. I appreciate, I appreciate the job, my teachers. You know what I mean? And that, which is why, partly why I became a teacher because of the work that they've done for me. I want to be able to inspire, inspire others, the students of, of the next generation. You and I had spoken earlier about um, you setting a goal to be on the NBA and that you wanted to be on the NBA team oh, as a basketball right. player, but you ended up working for the NBA and working with oh, yeah, yeah. in the school. Can you share that story? Because I think it ties in really well with your role as a, a elementary teacher. Yeah. Um, so obviously, I'm not going to say obviously, but as a young man growing up in Toronto and being exposed to basketball, one of my goals was to play in the NBA, which didn't happen. But I had an opportunity to travel to India my first time. I never thought I'd ever go to India. It wasn't a place that I was like, that's on my list, but an opportunity came up and I went the first time and I met a gentleman that worked for the NBA there. And when I came back to Toronto, I reached back out to him to thank him. You know, I met you. I appreciate the time I spent. And he actually remembered me. The year I was going into teacher's college, he reached out to me and asked me if I was interested in a job and I turned it down because I was going back to school. So the year I finished... I finished teacher's college the following year. He remembered me and he reached out and asked me if I was interested in a job. And I took it. And I spent about six months in India. I spent three months in Punjab, which is northern India. And I spent three months in Chennai. And I was in charge of about 95 schools. I was training. I was training coaches. I was training teachers. I was training gym teachers on the basics of basketball because a lot of the schools implemented basketball as a part of their curriculum. So they needed people from North America to come over and train these these teachers uh, the game of basketball, the fundamentals. So I was running camps and clinics on a daily basis. It was an eye-opener for me, basically. You know, I was able to appreciate the culture because I had a lot of Indian friends. And I wouldn't say it was a culture shock, but it was definitely challenging in some areas. And I was able to embrace the culture and, and learn a lot 
not only about myself, but about the Indian culture. Obviously, a goal of mine was to play in the NBA, and it didn't happen. But I found a way to still work for the NBA and still receive checks from the NBA because I found another route. The first route didn't happen as a player, but I was still able to, I guess, not really go through the back door, but an opportunity arose where I could actually still be a part of the NBA on a, on a global aspect, not just locally. So for those that are always wanting to do A and A doesn't work, there's, there's other options. So I wasn't able to be a player, but I was still able to work for the NBA. As a, as a teacher, I, I try and inspire and motivate and set kids up for success knowing, hey, you can still do this. If it doesn't work out, you can still do this. You know, so not to give up on your dream per se, but if it doesn't work the first time, keep working at it. But if it doesn't work, you can still, there's another way. There's always another way. Exactly. And the whole idea that we see an area that we're interested in and we're so focused on just that one thing, but what are the other influences related right. to that area that could get you, exactly. you know, into it? So exactly. that's a great story. I love that. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing that. What do you think the impact, particularly for Black students, that see you in their class as the teacher? Well, on the elementary level, I'd say it's very rare that you're going to see a six foot six black male as a kindergarten or grade one teacher, which is where I started off. I, I taught grade one, two. Or actually, I started off with grade three, four. Last year, I taught grade one. So... It's, that's not common. You're not going to see that. You know that elementary level is, is mainly women. I don't know. It's something that I thought I needed to, to do. I felt the jobs that I had were, were, were timely and I was supposed to be in that position at that time. So being a black male elementary teacher teaching kindergarten and grade one and two is rare. But I felt I needed that personally. You know, I felt that there was things that I needed to work on as a man, as far as like patience, working with, with kids that small. But the, the reception, as far as from the kids, were overwhelming in a positive way because there were times where I'd come into class and some kids were like, they would call me dad. Wow. So there were, there were days where I'd, I'd be working as a kindergarten teacher and you look like my dad or can I call you daddy? And it's like, whoa. Really? Like, so if you're getting a, you know, positive feedback in that way, I felt I was doing something right. You know what I mean? Because the areas where I was teaching were, were not really the best of areas. And there's probably no male figure in the home. Single parents, usually the mom. Not only am I a teacher, I'm a big brother. I'm a dad. So embracing those different roles and knowing what hat to put on at the, at the right time because... You can be a teacher here, but sometimes you may have to be a dad and be able to discipline in a, in a positive way, but also probably have to be a brother and spend time either doing an activity or, or playing with that student, uh, doing something fun with them. So depending on the situation in the day, you know, I'm either a teacher, I'm a brother or a father. So wow. you know, I embrace those roles. I know what I was getting into and I know that there's times where I'm going to have to flex one of those muscles, you know. 
for the most part, it's, it's, it's a challenging job, but it's, it's rewarding at the same time. And, you know, my, I think my biggest thing is I want to inspire these kids. I want to impact and be an influence. When I got back from Japan, from my teaching, I thought I was going to be a teacher and I was planning to go back to teacher's college and I was subbing. I was a substitute teacher. Mm-hmm. I taught a split grade three, four class. And I remember coming home to my mother saying, I don't know if I can go back tomorrow. I was petrified. Wow. <laughs> you know, I was like these little ones. And then I did teach older grade seven, grade eight, grade nine. And then I knew that I loved my Japanese students far more than I could possibly love my Canadian students. Wow. And I thought, you know what? I'm glad that I had that foresight, though, to say that this wasn't for me because I believe if you are not committed and engaged in the role, then you shouldn't do it because Mm -hmm. I strongly believe an educator is crucial in your children's life and they have to be doing it from a position of empowerment and not from one of lethargy. Yeah. And education is everything. So I'm glad that I had the foresight to think, do I really want to spend eight hours a day or how many hours per day with kids? And I realized that, no, not really. But (laughs) I advocate education a million percent. And I take off my hats to all of the black educators, educators in the system, because just your presence there is making a huge impact and your students will remember you. That's very important that you say that. Very important. I remember all my teachers from kindergarten all the way to high school. I can name probably about 80 or 90% of my teachers, whether they impacted me in a negative way or in a positive way. So, you know, I try my best that all my experiences with my students are positive because they will remember, you know what I mean? I think that's very important. If I can remember my teacher still, I know they're going to remember me. So I want to make sure that their experiences in my classroom, when they leave in June, they're like, I remember when Mr. Faulkner did this for me. I remember what we did that day, that activity or that t-shirt he gave me or, you know what I mean? So I think it's very important. Yes. I remember, it's so funny. I remember I had a Jamaican teacher in high school, Mrs. Hart. I speak about her all the time and say, oh, don't you remember anybody else? No, I remember Mrs. Hart. She was my math teacher. She was my tutor at one point. And I always say that I sometimes used to buck her up at Scarborough Town Center and say, Mrs. Hart, do you remember me? Because she... She made an, an impact on my life. Yeah. She And she had that Jamaican culture. <laughs> she never joke. She'd give yeah. a look. You yeah, know, yeah. she'd you give know, a look. You know that look. And you better pull up. Pull up. Fix up. <laughs> yep. All right. I'm really engaged and also taken aback. You have so many roles that you're involved with. So I'm going to speak now to Spread Love, which is your company. And I read this on your Spread Love page. Your mission is to build 
a strong emotional bond with your supporters and their communities as we inspire people to not only live better, but do better. Wow. Talk about that. Man, I don't know. Whenever whenever I have to talk about spread love, I get little like goosies or, you know, I get chills because it's something that I felt was needed. You know, I had no idea when it comes to starting a brand, but I knew what I wanted to do and I had some support. I think the biggest thing with Spread Love was actually just starting it because I was really scared because I didn't know any, I had no experience. I I figured you needed a lot of money to start a clothing brand or just a business, not realizing I only needed like less than a hundred bucks to start something. And it's grown so much in the last five years. But the idea was actually sparked from, like I said earlier, I worked for Lululemon and I actually, I really love that company because they're more than just a company. And I know a lot of people that I've talked to, whenever I say I worked at Lululemon, they're quick to be like, oh, you work at that, that, that place is a cult. And I'm like, how do you know that? Have you worked there? <laughs> you know, so I'm defending where I work because if it wasn't for them, I probably would have never started Spread Love. They're a very goal-oriented company. When I worked there, you have to write your goals out. One-year goal, five-year goal, and 10-year goal. And what was your role at Lululemon? I was an educator. That's, <laughs> that was the title. I was an educator. So it's kind of funny that my role in the store was an educator, and I ended up becoming an educator. I was an educator. I was working on the floor. But I also had goals of one day actually being able to be a manager of the store because I had goals of wanting to move out to Vancouver because I've always gone there to visit friends and I loved I loved the city and the vibe there. And I was like, I'd love to live in Vancouver. I'd love to work for Lululemon in their head office and putting my stamp on, on the company in some way or some shape or form. But that quickly changed to where I felt I needed to give back to the community, which is why I got back into education and to become a teacher. But to go back to how it started was writing up goals. It's a goal-oriented company, so you have to have a one-year goal, five-year goal, and 10-year goal. And I was at lunch one day, and I was looking at every... Because you have to post your goals on the wall so everyone can see. So at lunch, I'm reading everyone's goals, and I'm like, man, this guy wants to do that in five years? She wants to do this in 10 years? And I'm like, Jay, what are some... So right away, I'm like... Jay, what have you been scared to start? What have you been scared to do? And I remember starting a brand was one of them, a clothing brand. And I decided right there, I'm gonna. this is going to be the first step. I'm going to start writing out my goals. And I put it up on the wall, and that was one of them. I, I, I started it before I actually left the company. I bought shirts, and I was giving them away. I gave them to one of my coworkers, and she wore it, and she posted it. That was one of the first posts on Instagram was her wearing my shirt. I gave it away for free. From there, it was started going up. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I ended up going to teacher's college, so I had to put it on the back burner for a little bit because I started school. I think the biggest turn came for me was during that process when I was in teacher's college because I wore my shirt the first day and a professor stopped me and was like, yo, I love your shirt. And I told him it was mine. He's like, what do you mean it's yours? I'm like, yeah, I started this company called Spread Love. He's like, I love it. Yeah, we have to support you, man. You're a teacher. We have to support you. So I had printed 40 shirts prior to school starting. He told me to bring it in. So I actually fast-tracked so I can finish school a month early. And I went to Australia to teach for a month. So the week that I was leaving to go to Australia, I brought my shirts in. And I sold 35 in like 20 minutes. So teachers were buying 
students were buying and someone's like, Jay, you're going to need a website. And I'm like, think so? I have no idea I'm on websites. I'm like, what am I going to do? So I called up a friend that lived in Seattle. I'm like, yo, bro, I need some help. Man. And he whipped up a little WordPress website for me and I started taking orders. So I launched Spread Love in November of 2015. Man, it's just been growing since then. I've been getting a lot of positive feedback. You know, I've had people reach out. I had Fortune 500 companies reach out, wanted to collab on projects, uh, which you know, are in the in the works. I'd love to actually do something, but I think the, the biggest thing is the message and wanting to get that message um, out there. You know, there's so much going on in the world. We're seeing it present day. We've seen it in the past, but I think it's really about getting the message out and just inspiring people, impacting people, getting people working together and getting people to be kind. What can I do to impact someone? day you know being positive sending a positive message you know you don't have to i don't need to know you to be nice to you i think that's right. what a lot of people get they misinterpret like i need to know you to do something nice because i've done some outrageous kindly random stuff for people and they're asking me why am i doing this for them i don't need to know you to do something kind so the premise behind bread love is obviously bringing the community together and and getting people to not only live better but do better and, and it's been a challenge for me I, I hold myself accountable every time I wear the shirt. I'm wearing, I usually wearing something spread love every time I walk out the house because I usually get stopped on the street and I'm having a conversation with someone about the brand. And then we end up exchanging numbers, exchanging Instagram. Hey, let's meet up for coffee, a conversation starter for me and for a lot of other people, which is what I want. I want people meeting each other and talking and conversing and building and working together you know I've, i have i had um, opportunities in school as well to to kind of like push the message you know my class all my classes end up being a spread love classroom and there's been daily challenges you know i think the biggest thing for me with this brand um is when i first started teaching because i wore my shirt the first day of school and my vp at the time her and i were the only ones wearing it in the school and then we ended up starting spread love fridays so wow. you know, all the teachers were buying shirts and we created Spread Love Fridays where teachers wear their shirts every Friday to build community in the classroom and in the school. Um, at the time, there was a lot of bullying happening. So we want to bring more awareness and get kids more aware of our actions and how what we say and do affect others. So the last two schools that I've taught at, we've kind of started Spread Love Fridays and teachers are wearing their suit. And I'm not even at that school anymore and teachers are still wearing their shirts to push the message. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing process from an idea to actually pretty much a movement. My, my goal is to be in every school in the TDSB or every school board in Ontario and just more recognition of who we are and the impact we have on each other that we don't realize that we actually have. And it starts from just being kind or even saying mm -hmm. hi, opening a door, doing something nice for someone. A brand with a message that makes an impact around the world. Tell us about your product line. What is your product line? Um, well, you know what? It, it started off as t-shirts, which has been like the, the number one seller. And I'm just trying to like expand the, the items. So we have t-shirts. We have hats, we have women's leggings. We, I'm working on, you know, shoes. We have bracelets, tank tops, wristbands, bags. Um, something I'm dabbling with right now is, is I'm working on like home items, like cushions, 
and carpets. Ooh. That's a little sneak peek. Getting the scoop right here. You know, I just feel it's a message that needs to be everywhere. Like, you know, at home. You know what I mean? At home, everywhere. And any sort of apparel that's available, I'm trying to put the message on there because what better way to, to send a message if you're not wearing it? If you're not wearing it, that you're seeing it. I feel like the more that you see something, the more that you are wearing something, more opportunity for people to see it, you know? And if you're seeing it yourself, you're going to hold yourself accountable and, and want to match what that message is saying, you know? And I think the message becomes internalized. Yes, right? exactly. And I have a spread love mask because, as you know, we're in oh, yeah. COVID world right now. Yes. Oh, my God. And every time I wear it, people speak to me. And I'm a chatty person anyway. I chat up people anyway. I'm that kind of person, right? <laughs> I love it. I've Every time I've worn spread love i feel the warmth people say great mass great message yeah. so so on point tell me something what tell us about like a day in the life of a production of spread love what is what is a day in a life like for spread love in, in producing your, your, um, your you know what your I, I, spend a, I spend a lot of time um researching i spend a lot of time on the computer at night I'm actually an owl. I go to bed late because I, I, for some reason at nighttime, my creativity, my mind starts going. And if I don't start like writing stuff down or looking stuff up, I'm going to forget. But I'm always thinking about the next thing. Like, what can I do? I usually get up in the morning. I have my little routine. I check emails. But I also working on spread love items, either orders or putting together ideas for the next item or the next production, you know, and a lot of that is researching and, and sketching and drawing and just asking a lot of questions, especially what the people want, like, or what's trending, what are people wearing, what are the colors, like, always doing research. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a typical day for me. I, I have to admit, I just ordered my first Bread Love t-shirt and socks. Oh. <laughs> I'm, a sock, I'm a socks fiend. I love socks. My feet are always cold, so yeah, I'm so excited. Too. I think your your product line is amazing. I don't know where you find the time to be all of this multi-talented, working, doing all of these roles like this. I'm gobsmacked. I am, which is an English expression. I'm gobsmacked. <laughs> you are so talented. I wanted to ask you, well, you've actually spoken about your vision because that was going to be my next question for Spread Love. Um, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. My my goal is to be, obviously, I, I'd, I'd love to be recognized globally. I think I am in a certain aspect because, and the reason I say globally, because I had someone order a shirt from Japan and I was shocked. And I'm like, how did they find out about me? You know what I mean? So I actually have a, Spread Love shirt in Japan that I mailed out last year. But I think the biggest thing is for me, obviously I want to be recognized globally, but I want to be able to help people that are in need. And I see it all the time and I'm like, okay, how can I help that person? You know, because mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of people in my community or, or locally that are, they're struggling in some way. And if Spread Love can help ease 
whatever they're going through, if it's financial or if it's, you know, something that they need at home or if it's, you know what I mean? Like something that, that might not even be tangible. It could right. be just a, just a phone call, like just checking up on you to see how you're doing. But I just, I just want to make a positive impact, not only in my community, but, but globally in those ways. Times are tough. Times are tough. And there's people going through a lot of stuff that you don't know. Right. And especially times like right now that we're going through, but you'd never know. So I just want to make a positive impact and use this brand in a positive way. What are some of your challenges as an entrepreneur, um, businessman? And I'm realizing this now. I think I try to do too much on my own. I'm realizing that. I recently just got a brand manager because I'm like, in order for myself to grow and this brand to grow and to do the work that I want to do, I'm going to need help and I can't do it by myself. So I'm slowly building a team, looking for people that are like-minded, that are about the message, about the brand. I'm slowly building my team where I can have someone that's in charge of, you know, social media, a graphic designer, a photographer, videographer, like stuff like that. Because I really want to do stuff in the city, especially now. This message needs, this message is needed now more than ever. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to, to do or make a positive impact. And I know I can't do it by myself. So being able to have people around me to do that. Obviously, I could say financially, you know, obviously the more money you have, the more stuff you can do, right? But I think I have enough right now to make an impact with what I have. I feel like that will come later. And if I just continue working hard, the the right things are going to come at the right time. But I feel like I have enough right now to, to... to do what I want to do and not let finances hold me back because I don't want to rely. I know with, with social media, you can be so creative, you know what I mean? And and take advantage of the time that this is an amazing time to be alive, you know? It and, sure is. And, and I also think too, that the technology, you don't even need brick and mortar, right? You don't need a brick and mortar store and the, the global world is your marketplace Absolutely. because even the fact that somebody in Japan would order your goods, your your T-shirt. Right. You know, so it's a great time. I, I think sometimes we get hung up on the money aspect yeah, exactly. and it deters you from taking the steps. But sometimes you've just got to just keep it moving and the money will yeah. come. You have to be positive that the money is going to come. You know what? I realized that early. I told myself, doesn't matter what happens. I, I've said this out loud to myself. I'm like, Jay, doesn't matter what happens. Stick it. You're going to stick through this. You're going to ride this out. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. There were days where I was like, why am I even doing this? And the minute I thought that, I got a message from someone. Hey, I just saw your shirt on the subway. Someone was wearing your shirt. And I was like, all right, you know, Jay, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Don't worry. And I've also realized that I don't need to watch what anyone else is doing, that I go at my pace. Because I think a lot of people, when they start, as far as like their own business or their entrepreneur, they they see what other people are doing. They get discouraged. Like, how come mm-hmm. I'm not there? How come, I, how come I don't have that many followers as that person? And obviously, you're going to be discouraged if you see someone that has 20,000. I don't even have 5,000. But I'm like, you know what? 
I'm not about the followers. As long as I am doing the right thing, putting out positive content, and just letting people be informed and be genuine, it's, all that stuff will come later. So Right. And in the words of Chronics, you're doing it for the love and not for the likes. Exactly. Brap. Hey, bam, bam, bam. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not doing it for the likes. I'm not doing it for the likes. If I was doing it for the likes, I would have stopped four years ago or five years ago. I'm not watching. I'm not watching the the likes, man. I'm doing it for the love and to to impact and inspire Real. people. I love that. Words of motivation to somebody who's listening to this and they're motivated or they're inspired, or they have a goal to do something, whether it's creative, arts, education, whatever it is. Words mm-hmm. of motivation for them. Two words. Do it. Do it. <laughs> no, listen, I realized, I realized six, five or six years ago that I would regret not trying it if I didn't do it. I'd rather, I'd rather fail doing it then regret not trying it at all. And I think there's a lot of people out there right now that regret not opening that business. My mom been talking about opening our restaurant. My mom is one of the baddest cooks. I don't care what anyone says. My mom can cook. And she always said uh-huh. she wanted to open a restaurant and she never took the steps in opening it. And that right there kind of like, I'm like, I'm going to go for this brand. I'm going to push spread love. I'm going to try it. Because... If it was easy, everybody would be doing, everyone would be an entrepreneur. Exactly. If it was easy, everybody would have a podcast. Everybody would have a clothing brand. Everybody would have, you know what I mean? Like, but not everyone's going to do it because it's hard work, right? And some people are not built. They're not built for that. So exactly. I'm like, if you have a vision or a goal, you want to start something or do something, this is the time to do it now, right? This, there's no excuses now. They're telling us we got to quarantine. We got to be, we got to stay at home. This is where you do your research. This is where you plan. How can I do this? And start researching and, and asking for help or asking people. But be reasonable if you're asking for help. Some people just expect others to just fork over all your resources or give me this, give me that. It doesn't work like that. You have to put effort and time in and be diligent with, with your work. and. I've learned that because over the last five years, I've surrounded myself with people that are positive, people that are entrepreneurs, people that are go-getters, that are driven. And that's all I surround myself, people that have more and are doing more than me because I want to get to that level. And always encouraging, being around encouraging people, people that are building you up because you you can't be around people that are are always speaking negatively. You don't want to be in that that realm so mm-hmm. my words is is do it put in the work and research and ask questions because no one's and, gonna no, one, no one's gonna give it to you and i love the piece about doing the work because yes. for to this podcast i knew nothing about podcasting jason i knew nothing <laughs> 18 months of researching and watching and re-watching and writing and trying. And it is now live. And I it it you know what? Better to just get it done 
Yep. The more you do it, the better you will become at it. Exactly. And it's, that's and, it. Hey, and it's and it's a big it's and for me, because I'm a basketball player and and I used to play sports. And I remember the that same camp that I went to, the All Canada camp, Leo Routens was talking and he was talking about guys, are you really working? Are you really working? He's like, you can't be mad if you're in a game and your your jump shot is not working or it's not falling. He's like, are you putting in the work? Are you working on your craft? Are you working on your skill? Right? You can't be upset if you're not practicing and you're not getting up 500 shots a day and you're not shooting well in a game. The more you practice, the more work you put in, the better you're going to be. So you're just talking about 18 months of research. That's a lot of that's a lot of time. 18 months and I'm sure during that time you're watching podcasts. What's this guy doing? What's she doing? What makes her podcast so much popular? Why are everybody why is everyone watching her podcast? Why are they so in tuned? Like those are stuff that you have to do, but not everyone's willing to do that. From on my end, I'm researching designers, I'm looking at trends, I'm looking at colors, I'm seeing what people are wearing. I already know what the next what the next trend is or what the next color is going to be because I've been researching. So the next probably t-shirt or something that I put out, I'm going to make sure that that color is in there because that's the color for 2020 this summer. You know what I mean? So you got to put in the work. You got to put in the work. Oh, wow. Jason, you inspire me. Even though we've met, we've never had this kind of detailed conversation. No, we have never had this dialogue. <laughs> you just fill me with joy. And I really appreciate you taking the time to be with me here because your story, it inspires, it motivates. In the spirit of you, I feel it through this conversation that we're having so thank you so much man how do um, people get in touch with you how do people get in touch with you give us the dates um deets so obviously social media i am i'm trying to limit my my social media interaction but because of what i do i i'm always on it but my instagram my personal page is mr underscore spread love um, love that my brand instagram is spread love clothing you can shoot me a message drop me a dm my website is spreadlove.ca tons of merch on there i'm working on actually revamping my website so i'm going to be doing a, a relaunch of my website this summer which i was just having a conversation before i got on the call with you so it was very timely yeah a lot of cool stuff happening this summer um that i'm working on so you know, if you want to be a part of the journey, you can follow me on those platforms. And yeah, I just appreciate being able to come on here and spend some time. I know we could talk forever, but you know, for but real. I, thank you for allowing me to to be on this and sharing my story. Hopefully someone's been inspired or if they have questions, they can reach out to me as well. So Jason Faulkner is Blacknificence is Black Excellence. Thank you for listening to the Urban Lifestyle Report. I'm your host, Carolyn Morris-Walker, and looking forward to bringing you the next episode. Thank you. Mm -hmm.